Amen. Thank you for tuning in tonight here, February the 25th, 2024, the 16th of Adar 1, 5784, the Hebrew calendar. Here tonight, take your Bibles over to the book of Esther, to the book of Esther. I'm glad that as you go over into the Old Testament of the book of Esther, tonight, we want to talk to you out of Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 23, when we look at the divine behind everything. Sometimes we look around and we doubt God's presence in our lives. How many of us have done that? But just as there is a director of a play and there is the background, even if it's, if it's unseen by the audience, our God is always present, even if we can't see exactly what he's doing. Here in Esther chapter 2, we see God, the unseen director of the story. He's working in each cast member's life to orchestrate events for the good of his people. And we're reminded that just as he did not forget the Jews in Shushan, he has not forgotten every one of us across the world and the United States. The book of Esther is a book that reminds us the drama and all of the complacent characters and all of the tragic conflicts and an intense climax, climax, uh, uh, climax and the satisfying uh, conclusion that when we look at it, we can see the story of America and how that every one of us are coming uh, on the, the scene of a time that there is a beauty in all of our lives, amen. And, and so we look and we see the story of a young Jewish orphan girl who suddenly ascends to become the queen of the most powerful empire of the world. An amazing drama with an amazing script. And the greatest facet of this drama is the Lord himself, who's the director, who's the guide, who's establishing everything. He's speaking it and it happens, amen. And from Esther, we learn that ordinary days can become extraordinary as you go through the normal daily routines God knows where you are, and he can move you, change you, and use you in ways that you don't even understand. God did this with a young Jewish girl, um, uh, Esther, and he directed her steps. And we can learn from this drama that burdens can become blessings, and the twists and turns of life can be used of God for his good and wise purposes. Even our greatest hurts can be used for God's glory. God's preparing his heroes, and when the opportunity comes, he can fit them into his plan in a moment, and the world will wonder where they come from. God's never surprised by the circumstances of anything, and I'm glad that as each and every one of us go through life, no matter what you're encountering right now, he has a plan for you and for the crisis that you're going through as well. God had his heroes waiting in the wings. And so let's go together in the book of Esther, the divine behind everything. It's almost as if the puppet master is pulling all of the strings. He's making the drama happen as his fingers be begin to move with the strings and it begins to move the arms and the hands and it directs everything in the right path that it needs to go. And so Esther, the, the 
king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her a queen uh, that over Vashti. I'm glad that she was elevated to the position of prominence and in the, to the queen of Persia. F.B. Meyer said, fit yourself for God's service, be faithful, and he'll presently appoint the uh, uh, presently appoint the uh, in some unlikely quarter in a shepherd's hut or in an artesian cottage. God has his prepared and appointed instrument. As yet, the shaft is hidden in his quiver and the shadow of his hand, but at the precise moment at which it will tell with the greatest effect, it will be produced and launched on the air. F.B. Meyer was quoting a little bit from the book of Isaiah, one of my favorites that I normally uh, use when I'm doing a graveside service. God is never surprised by anything happening in our lives. What may have been a surprise to Esther was in the plan of God. God was directing her life the whole time, even when she could not see what he was doing. And although Esther is the title character of this drama, she's not actually the main character. Her, her book is a book about the director. Her book is about the divine God, uh, amen, the, the, the creator of the universe. This story is made up of a lot of cast members, and we see the overpowered king, a promoted orphan, and a prominent Jew. But as we go through this, God is present even when we don't see him. And so I'm glad that when we look and realize that the elevation of Esther to a position of prominence, the queen of Persia, the Persian king chooses Esther to become his new queen. And this is a picture of more morality, corrupt man, contrasted. I'm glad that we see a divine selection of Esther in verses 1 through 20, but a picture of selfishness and moral corruption in seeking true love in verses 1 through 4. And then, as we get on down from 5 down to verse 20, a picture of moral purity and strong character. And so, when we look at this, we begin to see uh, the settings of Esther that begins to come on the scene. Because right here, when we begin to look and realize that from all the settings here back in uh, uh, the chapter, we see from Darius in 521 uh, to 486, as uh, Xerxes in 486 to 465. And then we also see uh, our Xerxes in 465 to 424. But during this time frame, when we look at some of these things, amen, we begin to look and we realize that at 483, Esther, right here, the plan for God began to begin a military banquet that was planning a war with Greece. Then from verse 5 down to verse 22 and 482, New Year's festival, Queen Vashti rejected uh, the king. And so as we progress on in 478 BC, Esther in Esther chapter 2, verse 16, Esther is chosen as the queen. When we look at this, we begin to see some amazing things because right here in 480 BC, the Lord is doing a great and mighty work because right here uh, as uh, the time of month of May of 480, they leave out for Greece. In June, they arrive at Hellespont. In August, they arrive in Therma and the battle of Thermopylae begins in September Athens 
is taking place in the Battle of Salamis is lost. And so we see that the king wins a battle against Leonis is 300 and all of the other that come against him. But he turns right around at the Battle of Salamis and loses the, against the Greeks. He comes back home disappointed and beaten. And so as uh, we look and realize that the Greek army was annihilated of Leonis, uh, uh, at the at that battle, uh, but later uh, they uh, the Greeks begin to win and they won the battle at the Battle of Salamis. And so, when we look and realize that from all of the, of the battle that begin to take place here during this time, we look and realize that from this battle that uh, that is the the greatest king in all of the world was held. At a certain time, this is the story of the 300 Spartans that were fearless in the face of their enemy. Their story will ever be told because never in the history of warfare did men face such odds and refuse to be afraid. And the legend is more of a fantasy than history because it's unbelievable, but the legend is true. At a place called Thermopylae in ancient Greece, 300 intrepid Spartans stood against 100,000 Persians with their unshakable resolve with the mere force of 300 that struck the Persian invaders with fear. And Sparta was the city of Laconia on the Peloponnese in Greece. In the ancient Greece, it was a powerful city-state known for the militaristic traditions. And at the time, it was common for the Greek city-states to fight amongst each other. But Sparta reached the height of this uh, power in 404 BC, amen. And, and so when we look and we begin to realize that as uh, this battle was taking place, um, as all of the, uh, the uh, uh, Persians begin to come against them after the victory against Athens in the second uh, Peloponnesian War, the Spartans studied war from the very first day they were born, and all the Spartan men were trained to become warriors, infants that were brought before inspectors and examined for physical defects, and those babies who passed inspection, uh, they didn't have it easy. They were frequently ignored when they cried, commanded never to fear darkness or solitude, and at the age of seven, Spartan boys were removed from their homes, and they began in a state-sponsored training regiment designed to mold them into skilled warriors and moral citizens, separated from their families, lived in barracks with other boys, beaten to make them tough. They were given little to eat. And in order to, to get used to what life would be like when they would go to war, these boys were encouraged to fight one another. And at age 12, that initiates that they were deprived of clothing, uh, except for a red cloak, forced to sleep outside, make their own beds from reeds and ready for them to, uh, for a life in the field that these boy soldiers were also encouraged to scavenge and even steal their food. Though if detected, they were punished with the flogging. The Spartans trained vigorously and progressed through this training system until the age of 20 when they were allowed to join uh, a, 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 a basically a full citizen of the community. And each of them were expected to provide a certain amount of uh, training rigorously as well. And so the girls were not trained militarily. Uh, they were expected to train physically, but physical fit was considered to be an important for females uh, during this time. And so the battle that began to take place in the gap 
that was there that they held the the importance of of that that battle that they brought upon the battle of Thermopylae. Here, the price of glory was very very high, right in this little bitty gap that they bought time for the rest of the armies to come on the scene that they sacrificed themselves for the betterment and the future of all Greece. That Leonis uh, was the the leader of the 300 Spartans. Of course, there was a lot more others that participated in this same thing as well. Here at the Battle of Salamis, the Greeks was able to get back the victory and whoop the Spartans at that time, which was an unbelievable thing that would transpire and take place because here this, the Persian fleet in three lines that were coming in. Uh, uh, but I'm glad that uh, the superiority of the Greeks and their sailing was able to overcome them in this battle and defeat the Persians and sent the king back home uh, with a, a cry like he had never heard, amen. And so here we see King Osiris, uh, the overpowered king. We notice that in verse one that we're going to read in a minute that after these things between chapters one and two of Esther is a three-year gap. And during this time, Ahasuerus had been at the, they had, uh, Ahasuerus had been at war with the Grecians, and he's now returned to Shushan, the palace, in defeat. He had a very difficult defeat because when we look and realize that all the campaign against Greece, beginning the victory at the Battle of Theophilus, and then as he was defeated and uh, as he burnt Athens to the ground, his success did not last until finally he was defeated by the Greek navy in the Straits of Salamis. And it was with this background of humiliation that the Greek, the, the great king himself, Ahasuerus, sees uh, that he returns to Shushan discouraged and perhaps fearful of how the providential governors would respond to his losses. And here in Esther chapter 2, verse 1, he's feeling bad about the failed Greek campaign and his anger of what he did against his queen and losing her and banishing her uh, forever being his queen because once a Persian king made a law, even the king himself could not change it. It was that way uh, and no one could ever change it according to Daniel in the lion's den of what he went through. And so I'm glad that when we look and realize that each and every one of us as we go through life, we've got to be careful to not make no angry and hasty decisions as King Ahasuerus did. You know what? I'm glad there was a woman bitten by a mad dog facing uh, death by rabies and concerned that her doctor told her, ma'am, I believe you need to get your will ready. You need to get uh, writing your will. And the doctor watched as the woman wrote and she wrote and she wrote and she wrote and she, hey, she wrote some more. And uh, finally, he remarked, that's a very, very long will that you're writing out and making. And the woman retorted and said, this isn't my will, doctor. This is my list of the people that I'm going to bite. You know, in the times of high emotional intensity, we need to guard our spirits and not give in to the angry outbursts as the king did against his queen. If we do, we'll regret it later. And so he was defeated king, but also he had there was a devised plan because here was a defeated king, Ahasuerus, remembering what he had done to Vashti, his former queen, realizing that he needs uh, a plan for getting a new wife. Once again, he returns to his counselors and the same counselors behind the punishment of Vashti devised a plan for finding her replacement. Their plan was not a good one. 
and they certainly didn't seek the Lord. But remember, God was still directing the drama, and the Lord can use wicked men to accomplish his ultimate plan. Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. You know, in the past, God had used the foolishness of favor to bring about his will. And Paul said in Romans 9, 17, for the scripture says, under favor, even for this time, this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. In Esther's day, God was going, again, going to use the foolishness of men for his glory. These prided men that devised a plan to collect young women of the kingdom and bring them to a harem uh, for the king's pleasure and choosing. And here we see on, as we read in verses 2 and 3 in a minute, the only qualification for these women was that they be fair. The Hebrew word for fair was tob, T-O-W-B, of the Hebrew word, which means good, pleasant, agreeable. You know what? They were looking at the outside, but they never looked at the, the wonderful character of a woman's inside. And they just looked at the outward beauty. But I'm glad that as they searched the entire kingdom and all of the 127 provinces looking for these women, imagine the fear of the parents as the king's searchers came from all of the provinces and all of these women uh, that would hastily marry just anybody they could marry to keep from being a part of the king's harem. Boy, how scary that was during those times that all of these and how a degrading and perverse process this was for each woman would spend one night with a king, and if the king liked her, she would be sent to the harem to be one of the women available at any time at his call. Once in that harem, there was no possible way that they could ever marry. There was no escape. These women were permanent property of the king. That is a horrible thing. But I'm going to tell you something. What God did as a great director of writing this was prepare the next cast of, of the members in this drama. And he began to put together a marvelous uh, plan by a woman by the name of Esther. Now here, the promoted orphan, we see God directed a defeated and prideful king as we get in through our introduction of once again that God can use even man's wickedness to accomplish his purposes. I'm glad that the psalmist said in Psalm 76:10, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath shall thou restrain. Here we're introduced to two of the cast members who will play the very important roles in this drama, Mordecai and the palace. Mordecai had been carried from Jerusalem and brought into captivity many years early. And according to Esther chapter 2, these verses 5 and 6, Mordecai was acquainted with hardship and understood what it meant to be a foreigner and a captive. He must have been around 70 years old. And then he takes on his cousin to raise Esther, praise God. And so they are brought in. And there, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And I'm glad that when we look and realize that the story later on, that Mordecai's heritage, as he brings him into position of leadership in the king's uh, gate, that he's getting everything ready for the future. How Mordecai, uh, I'm glad that as everything falls into place with the drama of these characters, amen, and as they begin to come into the spotlight, Later on, in the end of this chapter that we'll read in verses 21, 22, and 23, that Mordecai sits at the king's gate and hears of an assassination against the king from the king's chamberlain. And so he reports to Esther. She reports to the king, and it saves his life. At the time, he's not recognized, but later on, he'll be brought and be recognized for his attributes of saving the king's life as it goes forward. Lord, 
as we get into the wonderful word of God. Add your blessing unto this. Use it for your glory and honor. And we pray, God, that we would look at ourselves as we look at the book of Esther and begin to realize that death is coming one of these days. We need to get ready for it. And, Lord, we need to be prepared when death does come. And so, Father, I pray that as you are the one that directs all of our lives every day, everywhere, I pray, God, that you'll continue to watch over us until you're done with us and until we continue to give glory and honor to you as you use this beautiful woman, Esther, to do the salvation and the saving of the entire nation of Israel for that purpose. In Jesus' marvelous mighty name, amen. And so, after four years after Queen Vesti had been deposed as queen, why it took so long, I have no idea. But maybe because of the war that was going on with the Greeks, that maybe this was how it happened. He had divorced, removed Queen Vashti in the third year of his reign in uh, Esther chapter 1 verse 3. And he did not marry Esther until the seventh year in uh, Esther chapter 2 verse 16. And so why the search postponed three to four years is not stated. But I remember it was during uh, Xerxes launched his disastrous campaign against the Greeks and returned home in humiliation instead of honor. And so we look and we see the reading of the word of God. Uh, and after these things, when the wrath of, of the king, Osiris, uh, was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's service that ministered unto him, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the providences, there's 127 of them, of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins under Shushan, uh, the palace, to the house of the women, under the custody of Hagi, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their things for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be uh, uh, king, uh, be queen instead of Vashai. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Now in Shushan, in verse 5, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimiel, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. And so the search kicked off in verses 1 through 4. And they began to send away all of the ones uh, as they were going forth, uh, that they were the search for the Miss Persia, the beauty contest that they would conduct for the winner who would be the new queen. But I'm glad that the sending away, the young Jewish girl named Esther is among those that are sent to appear before the king. And she's been raised by her cousin Mordecai, who adopted her when their parents died. And so we see here are the elements in pleasing the Lord. Don't entangle self in worldly affairs. It demands that we have faith in the Lord doing what is good and distributing or sharing with others and the duty of all Christians, the desire of all servants of God, the, the, the fearance and docility to parents that pleases the Lord, the dumbness of preaching pleases God. But I'm glad the dumbness to the world, that is. But the development of a broken, contrite heart pleases him as well. Declaring praise to the Lord pleases our King, develops peace with our enemies and divine answers to prayer are the result, amen. Pleasing our king, amen, is one of those things that verse 4 was talking about that he was saying, and he said, and let the maiden which pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti, 
and the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Pleasing the Lord ought to be the desire of every Christian. So what does the Bible say? How do we please the Lord? Right here are the elements in pleasing our Lord and being able to have all of these things that we don't entangle ourselves in the worldly affairs that demands that we've got faith in God, that we share with others, that we have a duty to all Christians. We're servants of God and our parents that we please the Lord and preaching that pleases God and a broken and a contrite heart that pleases him. All of these are the Lord, amen. And so we look and we realize uh, here uh, again uh, that the Lord can use this because he's the divine behind everything who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with the uh, Jeconiah king of Judah whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away and he brought up to Hadassah because Hadassah was Esther's Hebrew Jewish name Hadassah that is Esther his uncle's daughter for she had neither father nor mother and the maid was fair and beautiful whom Mordecai when her father and mother were dead took for his own daughter so it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard and when many maidens were gathered together under Shushan the palace to the custody of Higi that Esther was brought also under the king's house to the custody of Higi keeper of the women and the maiden pleased him and she obtained kindness of him and he speedily gave her things for purification with such things as belonged to her and seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house and he preferred her and her maids under the best place of the house of the women Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred nor Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it and so no one knew that she was a Jew amen and so here again the sending away but also the special favor away that was in verse 9 because uh, Higi, the eunuch in charge of the royal harem, is very pleased with Esther and he shows her special favor. Amen. And so then there's the secret that she doesn't tell anyone that she's a Jew. She keeps that secret to herself. Amen. Heeding uh, Mordecai's advice that she does not reveal her Jewish nationality to anyone. Amen. And so when we look and realize that it goes on and verse 11 and Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her and when every maid's turn was come to go in to King Ahasuerus after that she had been 12 months according to the manner of the women for so were the days of their purification accomplished uh, to wit six months with oil of myrrh six months with sweet odors and with other things for the purifying of the women then thus came every maiden unto the king whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the women under the king's house in verse 14 in the evening she went and on the morrow she returned into the second house of the women to the custody of uh, uh, Shagas and the king's chamberlain which kept the concubine she came in under the king no more except the king delighted in her and, and that she was called by name and now when the turn of Esther the daughter of Abigail the uncle Mordecai who had taken her for his daughter was come to go in unto the king she required nothing but what he guy the king's chamberlain the keeper of the women appointed and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her 
Boy, I tell you, there's some women that they've got to work really hard and they got to spend a lot of money to make themselves. But I thank God Esther was so beautiful, not only in her character, not only in her beauty outward and spiritually. She didn't really need anything because she was beautiful all around, inside and out. Boy, I tell you, uh, God, when he does something, boy, does he do a great job in it. And so, again, the secret and the summons that it was. And that was the process that each woman in the harem undergoes one year of those beauty treatments, 12 months before seeing the king. After spending the night with the king, the woman lives in a second harem and never sees the king again unless he requests her specifically. But then the thing that we see in the summons of the process, we see the pleasing that took place because in verses 15 on down to verse 19, here we see with the help from Hegai, Esther delights the king and becomes his new queen. And he gives a banquet in Esther's honor, praise God. And so here we look and we see in verse 16, so Esther was taken unto King Hyseris into his house royal in the 10th month, which is the month to Beth, in the 17th year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And then the king made a great feast unto all of his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. In verse 19, and when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. In verse 20, Esther had not yet shewed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. She told no one about her ancestry of being a Jew and so and of the secret and so we saw the divine selection God's present even when we don't see him. the divine selection of Esther in verses 1 through 20 a picture of selfishness and moral corruption in seeking true love but then there's a picture of moral purity and strong character when we look at uh, Hadassah or we see uh, Esther uh, as she called in the Persian name that maybe Mordecai gave her that Persian name of Esther to keep her concealed from her true identity. But then, as we come into verses 21, down to the last of verse 23, the divine detection by Mordecai, a picture of believers warning others uh, to prevent for death, to prepare for death. Because in this last one, in those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Big Fan and uh, Thiresh, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai who told it unto Esther the queen. And then Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when the inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out therefore they were both hanged on a tree and it was written in the book of Chronicles before the king. And so the plot is revealed. And Mordecai overhears the plot by uh, the palace guards to assassinate the king and he reports the information to Esther and she tells the king. And so here the plot's recorded in the book of Chronicles in verse 23. And because of Mordecai's report, the guards are hanged and the entire episode is duly recorded in the king's archives, amen. I'm glad that the divine detection by Mordecai, when we see all that he does, amen, uh, that he begins to, uh, get a, uh, later on, he'll get a promotion. But right now, no one even recognizes anything that he's done. And so 
here we get to a turning point in the life of, of, of Mordecai because later on he's going to be promoted, amen. And so when we look, we begin to realize that here uh, later on we see that Hasserus, his life is spared. But one of his commanders later on, this particular man is going to succeed and assassinate the king later on. Here, he escapes death, but death is coming for all of us. That's my point of one of his own, one of his own commanders that let him in, that they killed, Hasserus, that he dies later on. And uh, we've got to be ready when death comes our way. Amen. And so imagine the strength of a young lady that has the traits to be a part of every young woman's life, to be kind and gracious, loving, virtuous and wise, obedient to the parents, humble, acknowledging the gifts of God that's been given, acknowledging the gifts that's been given to others and esteeming others highly. And a young woman that always studying, learning, gaining knowledge and intelligence that's industrious, diligent, never slothful and never lazy. The Lord looks for those people that have those kind of talents. I'm glad that when we look, standing opposite of the strong character and moral purity of Esther is all the immoral, illicit sexual behavior of young women and men that's out there today. Esther guarded her virginity, remained sexually pure until her marriage, and yet the opposite is true of so many of our youngsters today. They don't even worry about making a commitment at all. Immorality and premarital sex are being engaged in by so many young people who simply ignore God's commandments and are in the advice of their parents or, or ignore the advice of their parents, their mentors, or their counselors. And it is no surprise that when the average age of sexual activity is dropped every year, dipping down even into the childhood years, what a shame and what a disgrace. If there has ever been a day when women of strong character and moral purity are needed, it is today. And I challenge all of our men and women to have that same character and trait about their lives today. No matter how many other people are doing whatever they're doing, don't try to be like everybody else. Let God direct your life. And I'm glad as followers of Christ, we too must warn people to prepare for death. Just like uh, Mordecai began to warn for the, and spared the life of the king. Death is inevitable. It's unstoppable, inescapable. And our great enemy, Satan, is always lying in wait. But there's a wonderful news. If we prepare in time, we can be delivered from the death through Jesus Christ. We never have to face or experience death because he plucks the stinger of death when we step out on faith and take him at his word and let him be the keeper of our soul. Quicker than the eye can blink, when the moment comes for our departure, God will transfer us right into his presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I believe 100% every bit of that scripture, God will save us from experiencing death if we'll simply trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. How about tonight, huh? But as stated, being followers of Christ, we must warn other people to prepare for death and warn them like Mordecai did the king and the judgment to come as well. It is even our responsibility to warn them to carry out the great commission. Once warned, the way that they uh, can prepare is for death is to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to give them eternal life and to be the keeper of their soul. You see, your soul is going to spend eternity either in hell or in heaven. In torment, burning forever and ever, that soul will be tormented in judgment in the lake of fire, or it can be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever.
Jesus Christ has vanquished death for every believer. And so there's a divine behind everything. Here in the conclusion in Esther 2, God's people were in captivity, yet suddenly two of them were in proximity to the most powerful man in all of the world who could have seen the important role that they would play in God's plan to preserve the people of God from becoming genocide. God is the director of the story himself, and he saw it all. He works in ways that we don't understand at the time. But Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God could take a defeated king, use him to bring an orphaned girl to the place of prominence, and God put Mordecai at the right place at the right time. And when we look at the assassination attempt and all of it was just setting the stage for an even bigger scene ahead in the coming future, that the sovereign God is the one directing everything every day in America and all of our lives as well as today and every day. He's got a purpose for Esther and Mordecai, and he's got a purpose for you and I. Keep looking up and don't forget you're dealing with a situation that maybe it's bringing grief into your heart. Maybe there's something outside that's happening that's weighing you down. Listen to me, brother and sister of Christ. Friend, take comfort in knowing that the great director, God himself, is orchestrating your life according to his perfect, beautiful plan. You can trust him because the divine is behind everything. Father, thank you for the many that are telling the story and the drama with their lives as Esther told it with hers and her character of her purity and of her virginity and how that she waited and she did what she was supposed to as a young woman. Lord, as Mordecai was able to be used because of her position and save the entire nation of Israel from genocide and from an evil that came on the scene later that would want to annihilate every one of the Jews from existence. Thank you for saving us by your marvelous grace and for letting us have your word of say in the book of Esther and the love and the drama that it, that it portrays to all of God's people. In Jesus' marvelous mighty name, amen. God bless you.